Today, you have an opportunity to hear from one of our strategic partners, the Timothy Initiative and David Nelms. I was thinking about this just a moment ago, but uh, it was probably about 2012. I went to a Tennessee Baptist Convention meeting that we had right when the Tennessee Baptist was in Brentwood, and the speaker that day was David Nelms. And uh, it was a Friday night, and there were three, three guys speaking to us. David was one of them. And I went and got my dad and said, uh, you, you need to come back tomorrow. You need to meet this guy, David, and hear what he's doing through his church. He was pastoring at the time and around the world through what was called the Timothy Initiative. And a friendship was born. I think, David, this is about the fourth time you've spoken at our church, so you're not a stranger here. But I want you to make David welcome this morning as he comes and brings us the word today. Thanks, David. We love you. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Boy, it's so good to be back at Judson. I think you're right. It's at least the fourth time. Maybe if we count Wednesday nights, maybe the fifth or sixth. And that's really unusual for me because I rarely get invited back a second time, okay? (laughs) So this has got to be, Judson's got to be like an all-time record for me. I love this place. I just love Judson. Just listen to the music and everything about Judson just just shouts out, uh, uh, well, it's all about his name for the sake of his name. Amen? And just, I've grown to know some of you and love you, and, but I never noticed until today, have you guys ever noticed Kirk and Tim almost look like twins? <laughs> have you noticed that from the back? If you're not looking at their faces, they almost look like twins. I don't know where they are right now. They're probably outside smoking or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where these worship people go when they get done. I never have figured it out. What's that? He's in a life group. Okay, he's in a life group. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> Well, anyway, it's, uh, it's so good to be in partnership with you guys. Y'all are closing in on having planted 1,000 churches, ends of the earth. Now, I want to tell you something. Don't let that number just slip by. There are very few churches in the world, I mean, forget Tennessee, the world, that have been responsible for starting 1,000 other churches and you guys are right there. I mean, you're just, I'm hoping after today, you'll cross over that, that limit. We are one of your partners, and primarily what we do is make disciples who make disciples, who then start gathering together, and they start churches. And our churches are designed not so much to get big, but to re- uh, reproduce and multiply. And we primarily focus among what's called unreached people groups, UPGs, unreached people groups. And without boring you with the definition of that, basically, if you're part of an ethnicity that's classified as a UPG, 98, 99% of the people in your entire ethnicity will not be a follower of Christ. We work primarily among Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and animist regions of the world. And in the project that we're working on with you guys, I was talking to Pastor Jeff about it last night. We call it Achieve, a church in every village. We've picked out two or three countries. In your case, the churches that you're getting ready to fund will go to plant churches in villages where there's never been a church. There is no church. They don't know who Jesus is. Many of them have never heard his name. And so for the first time, there's going to be the light of the gospel brought to villages. Every single church that started will be in a village where there is currently no church. And again, it's probably never been 
a church. We've got it down to where we can plant a church over a two-year process for about $300. And because of some generous business people, we have a match on the table. So everything you guys are able to collect is going to be doubled. So $300 isn't going to plant one church. It's going to plant two churches. Jeff, that's hard to do. It's really hard to do, but it's, it's going to happen. And so well, we're just excited to be here. And every one of your churches will also take care of an orphan or a widow. And so you guys are taking care of just hundreds and hundreds of orphans all over the world, even as I'm speaking. Now, there, there's two things that we really need. One is the funding, obviously, but, but the other is the prayer. And I think every missionary in this room would tell you that the prayer is critical. And I've got a prayer card, a prayer team. We call it the International Prayer Team, IPT. And if you're not currently on our prayer team, if you would just see me, I'll just be right down front when church is over, and I'll give you a card, have you fill it out. We desperately need prayer. I mean, I just, we've had, uh, we've had 30 of our Pauls, they're our trainers, die of COVID in one country just in the last couple of months. 30. That's 30 families, okay? The last I checked, we had over 100 of our Pauls, trainers, in the hospital with COVID in this one country. And we're in 33 different countries. Uh, Some of you remember the coup that occurred in Myanmar back February. It's not in the news anymore, but it's still raging. In fact, civil war broke out there in the past week. And just hundreds, if not thousands of people have been killed. Jeff, the week of the coup, we were scheduled to open 200 training centers, which is three to 4,000 church planters in that Buddhist country. And it all got put on hold because of the coup. I could tell you stories that'll just, would just, it would just horrify you. What am I trying to say? We need prayer. We need prayer worse than we need anything. And in fact, I think I'd go so far as to say, if you came up to me after church and said, David, which would you rather have, $10,000 to plant churches or for me to get on the prayer team? I think my answer to you would be, can I please have both, (laughs) okay? (laughs) But if you say, no, you can't have both, you can't be be greedy, you got to have one or the other, pick, I'd take the prayer. And if you don't believe me, try me after the service. That's how critical the prayer is. So see me after the service if you could. I'm going to be sharing some stories with you that I think will illustrate why we need why we need the prayer. But let me get into the message. Today it is my prayer that you will leave here convinced that God can use you. And I know you already know that in a theological, doctrinal, fact-like way. Everyone in this room would say, yes, God can use me. But I'm not sure that we really believe it. I'm not sure that that truth has moved from our heads down to our hearts because I don't think most of us really feel We are capable of being not just used, but greatly used by God. You see, God has chosen you. John 15 and verse 16. It's an incredible verse. Jesus said, hold on a second. Let me get this straight. I want to make sure you guys understand this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And he said, I didn't choose you to give you a free ticket to heaven. That's not the main reason I chose you. I chose you for an appointment. I have appointed you, you, Jesus talking to you. I've appointed you 
to go and bear fruit. Well, what is the fruit of a follower of Christ? You say, David, is, the fruit, is it the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace? I, maybe, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think the fruit of a Christian is basically another Christian. Uh, fr- the fruit of a Christ follower is, is uh, another Christ follower. Ro- uh, Genesis 1, the first page of the Bible, very first page, tells us everything that's alive reproduces after its own kind. Cows produce cows. Chickens produce chickens. Crickets produce crickets. Cats produce cats. Christ followers produce Christ followers. Jesus said, I have chosen you. I've given you an appointment. I have appointed you to go and bear fruit. He wants you to be a fruit, a fruit bearer. Matthew 28, verse 19. You're very familiar with this verse. This is a great commission church here. You guys are all about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. And by the way, when he said these words, he wasn't talking to pastors. He was not talking to ordained ministers. There were none. There was not an ordained minister on the face of the earth when Jesus said, go make disciples. He was talking to regular, normal followers of Jesus Christ. How many of you people are followers of Jesus? Say amen. Amen. By the way, you're really beautifully uh, socially distanced here this morning. I like the way you've done this, Jeff. Uh, But you're you're all followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's who he's talking to here. And by the way, take a good close look at that verse. There's no please in it. It's not a request. He's not asking us. He's He's saying, hey, you're my followers. I want you to go and make disciples. I have chosen you. I have appointed you to be a, uh, to bear, to bear fruit. You are his fruit bearing, disciple making, kingdom advancers. That's who you are. If not you, who? That's who you are. That's who we are. We are his, his uh, disciple making, fruit bearing, kingdom advancers. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Paul made an amazing statement. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And he says to them, therefore, after saying all this stuff, he's been writing the book and the letter there. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I want you to notice that verse very carefully. He did not say, I am an ambassador. He said to the church, we are ambassadors. He didn't say, I'm the ambassador and you're the embassy workers. That's not what he said. He said, we, we are ambassadors. And what does that mean? Look at the rest of the verse. God has sent you out as an ambassador to deliver a message where you live and work and study and shop and play that those around you can be reconciled to God, brought back into a right and righteous relationship with God. That is the message that our God has given to his ambassadors, and you are his ambassadors. You say, but David, I've never been to Bible college. You don't have to go to Bible college to be his ambassador. You say, but I don't know Greek. I don't know Greek. You don't have to know Greek to be his ambassador. That is who you are. He has appointed you. Jesus said, I chose you. I appointed you. Be my fruit bearer. Make disciples. Be my ambassador. Deliver my message that the world can be reconciled. By the way, an ambassador lives basically in a foreign country. 
the ambassador is sent by the king to a foreign land to deliver the message. What this verse is implying is this world is not your home. This verse is saying that God has sent you, God has placed you in a foreign land. You say, you say but wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a legal resident. I was born here in the USA. Well, you may have been, but look at Philippians 3 verse 20. Philippians 3 verse 20 says your citizenship is in heaven. You're not a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of heaven. Are you hearing me? This is a foreign country. Do you ever feel like you just don't feel at home here? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen. Yeah. Do you know why you don't feel at home here? Because you're not at home here. That's why. I'm uh, almost 68. I know that shocks you. You thought I was like 45 or something. But I was uh, talking to my wife the other day, and I said, uh, where do you think, we ought to, where do you, think uh, you guys ought to bury me when I die? She said, why are you talking about dying? I said, well, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken, and, and I'll probably die for you. Men usually die before the women. I don't know why. Uh, I, my theory is you ladies put something in our coffee, okay? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the case, but, but uh, I said, I'll probably die about six, seven years before you. And she said, well, where do you want to be buried? I said, well... I don't know. I, I just can't think of a good place. And, and she's, I'm from Georgia. She said, you want to be born in Georgia? I said, no, I don't want to be born. A bunch of rednecks and uh, red clay. I don't want to be born in Georgia. She said, well, uh, we live in North Carolina. She said, what about here in North Carolina? I said, no, a bunch of Tar Heels. I don't want to be born in, or buried in North Carolina. She said, well, I'm, she's from Indiana. She said, what about Indiana? A bunch of Hoosiers, basketball uh, uh, farmers. No, I don't want to be, I don't want to be born in, or b- buried in, in Indiana. And she said, well, where do you want to be buried? And I can't think of a place I want to be buried. I just can't think, I can't think of any place where I've ever felt at home. You know why? This world is not my home. I'm just what? A passing through. Yeah. Do you understand what the Bible is saying? You are an ambassador. You are a fruit bearer. You are a disciple maker. By the way, Acts 1.8, you are his witnesses. You are a witness for Jesus Christ. Jesus directly connects the coming of the Holy Spirit with power to witness for him effectively. Has the Holy Spirit come into your life? Is is the Holy Spirit living inside of you? He either is or he isn't. If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, one primary reason, this isn't the only reason the Holy Spirit was given, but one primary reason the Holy Spirit was given was to give you and I the power that we need to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus Christ. And so this is who we are. We are his witnesses. We are his ambassadors. We are his fruit bearers. We are his disciple makers. We are his kingdom advancers. This is who we are. This is what we're supposed to be doing. But we have a problem. There's always a problem. The enemy, we have an enemy, and the enemy wants to convince you that God can't use you. He'll tell you God can't use you because you're not smart enough. You're not gifted enough. You're not good enough. Well, remember what Jesus said about Satan in John 8 and verse 44. It's an incredible passage 
Jesus said about Satan, and if you look at the very bottom of the, of the uh, verses, there's a big passage there. At the very bottom, Jesus said about Satan, he is a liar and the father of all lies. When Satan says to you, somebody's sitting there right now thinking, yeah, I know that's what you're saying, but that's what you preachers all say, that God, God wants to use us, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my history. You don't know my jail record. You don't know what I did even this past week, and you don't know how many failures I've had. God can't use me. Listen to me. Those words are not coming from the Holy Spirit. Those words, those thoughts are coming from your enemy, the devil. He's trying to tell you the opposite of what the Bible says over and over and over again, which is God saved you for a purpose. God saved you to use you. Satan will lie to you. Jesus said he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. And so somebody said when, when Satan reminds you of your past, when Satan says you can't be used of what you've done, when Satan reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. And it's not a good one, ladies and gentlemen. May I remind you that everybody in the Bible that God used in a great and marvelous way had, a, had, a, had issues, every one of them. The two or three that no issues mentioned, it's not that they didn't have them, it's just that they're not mentioned. I mean, everybody, there is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is nobody, all these great heroes of the faith that we hold up, every one of them were characters. Do you remember Noah? Uh, Jeff mentioned that the, you, you older people built the arks yesterday. The, Noah built that big ark. God used Noah to save the whole world. I mean, he, the whole world. Everyone in this room traces our lineage back to Noah. God used Noah to save the whole world. First thing he did when he got off the ark was he built an altar to worship God. Well, that's pretty good. Second thing he did when he got off the ark was he got drunk. And getting drunk caused all kind of family issues, and, and the human race has been going downhill ever since. God used a drunk to save the entire human race. If God can use Noah, a man like Noah, can God use you? Can he? Yes, he can. Does anybody believe that? Say those three words with me together. Yes, he can. Can God use you? Answer me. Yes, he can. What about uh, Jacob? Jacob lied to his dad, his blind dad, who was on his sickbed, thought he was going to die. I mean, who, who walks up to their blind, aged, dying father and lies through their teeth? And he not only lied to his blind father, he stole his brother's uh, inheritance, basically, his birthright. I mean, the guy, was, he was a weasel. He was a schemer. And yet God not only used Jacob, God even changed Jacob's name to Israel. Isn't that something? If God can use a man like Jacob, can God use you? Yes, he can. What about Moses? We revere Moses, the great lawgiver. Uh, he, stood, he faced Pharaoh down and said, let my people go. He parted the Red Sea. He brought all those frogs and flies and fleas into Egypt. I mean, he, was the, he struck the rock. Uh, he gave us the Ten Commandments. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 
Guy was, he was just, he was, my how God used him. But this great lawgiver who wrote for us, thou shalt not kill, killed a man. Cold-blooded murder. If God can take a cold-blooded murderer and turn him into Moses, what can God do with you? Can God use you? What about Samson? I don't even know where to start with Samson. Best thing I can tell you about Samson is he had hormone problems, okay? (laughs) He just, he never saw a pretty face that he didn't just fall head over heels in love with. The guy was just, he was just a mess. And yet, and not only did he become the great judge of Israel, but in his death, he took out twice as many of the enemies of God as he had taken out in his entire life. If God can use a guy like Samson, Samson was pretty immoral, there's some immorality that's occurred in, in some of us in this room. But if God can use an immoral beast like Samson, what can God do with you? I think of David. Uh, I like David. My mother named me after David. David was a sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a great warrior. David and Goliath and the bear and the lion and the, uh, half the book of Psalms he wrote. And just, he was a great guy. But let me tell you something about David. He not only committed adultery with another man's wife, Bathsheba, the man that, who was married to Bathsheba was one of his trusted, was one of David's mighty men, Uriah. David's mighty men would be like a combination of secret service, presidential bodyguards, Navy SEALs. It's kind of a combination of that. They were a small group of elite warriors who were sworn to defend David, sworn to take care of him. And and in fact, while David is sleeping with Bathsheba, Uriah is out on the battlefield fighting David's battles. And and when he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, long story short, he had Uriah put to death. He had Uriah killed to cover up what he had done so he could take his his good buddy's wife. Who does that? I mean, who does? I've pastored 37 years. I can't ever remember anybody doing anything that rotten. Who does that? David. You say, did God still use David? Turn to the first page of the New Testament, and the New Testament opens with the very first verse. It says, Jesus Christ, the son of David. If God can use a man like David, I mean, you're talking about bloody hands. If God can use a man like David, can God use you? I can do this all day. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah and the big fish? And he, he, he got spit out on the third day, and he went running to Nineveh, and uh, he uh, preached. And the whole city, the whole city, I think it was 120,000, I think it was, 100 and something thousand. 120,000 people repented. Even the king repented. From the king down to the lowest slave repented. It even says the animals were dressed in sackcloth, uh, which was a, a way of showing sorrow and repentance over your sin. And I don't understand that. I don't understand how animals, uh, it'd be like if you went home today and your dog is dressed in sackcloth because your dog repented while you're at church. You say, I don't understand that. I don't understand it either. Ask Pastor Jeff, okay? I don't understand it. All I know is that's what the Bible says. Even the animals were repenting. The whole city turned, repented of their sins and turned to God. You say, I bet Jonah was really excited, right? 
Well, he's sitting outside the city on a hillside looking down, hilltop looking down. And when he saw that God had decided to spare the whole city, you know what, Jonas, Jonah got so mad, he said, God, just kill me. I'd rather die than see those people live. Now, what kind of prophet is that? He needs to find a new job, amen? Let me be like if, if, if this room was packed with people that didn't know Jesus and Pastor Jeff got up and preached a message and every single one of them gave their hearts to Jesus Christ, It'd be like Jeff saying to God, I wish you'd just kill me. I hate it that all these people got sent. I mean, what kind of preacher would do such, say such a thing as that? Jonah, the man that probably led the greatest turning to God, the greatest single citywide revival, if you will, in the history of mankind was Jonah. And he was so angry that God spared them, he wanted to die. My goodness, Jonah had issues. Yet God used him. Are you understand what? If you get what I'm saying, say amen. Can God use you? Yes, he can. What about James and John? Jesus called them sons of thunder. Sometimes people act like that was a compliment. I'm not sure that it was. These guys are like, have you ever been sitting at home minding your own business and all of a sudden just a loud clap of thunder and it scares the living daylights out of you? That's the idea. These guys were, were like volcanoes. They were boisterous. They were, they were, they were just, just radical, if you will. In fact, they're walking down the road one day and they start talking to somebody and the guy doesn't want to follow them. So James and John run up to Jesus and they say, can we call fire down from heaven and roast those guys right now? They wanted to burn them alive. I mean, what kind of preacher does that? If, if, if you're a guest today and you don't decide to join Judson, what would you think if Pastor Jeff said, burn them alive, Lord, burn them alive. That's, that's James and John. James became one of the early leaders of the church. He was martyred. And John, John is the one that, when you see the picture of the Lord's Supper, was leaning over on Jesus. John is the one that when Jesus was crucified, Jesus looked down from the cross and said, John, take care of my mother. Mom, John's your son now. Go home with him. John's the one that wrote, the greatest verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And yet John was a son of thunder. Do you get it? You say, I got a bad temper. There's no way God can use me. He used John. He used James. What about Peter? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's agonizing in prayer. He's about to die. The, the Hebrew says he's crying out loud, loud cries of agonizing prayer. The sins of the entire world are getting ready to be laid upon his back, and he's the Holy One. And, and the very thought of, of that sin separating him from his father is just breaking his heart. And so he's crying out in agony, and he needs someone to pray with him. And so he walks over to Peter and a couple of the others and says, Peter, can you pray with me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I'll pray with you. And 10 seconds later, Peter's snoozing away. Jesus is crying out there in the garden and he walks back over to Peter and he does it again. He does it a third time. I mean, have you ever been just so brokenhearted you just needed somebody to pray with you? Peter was his closest confidant, his number one guy, and Peter just falls asleep. What's worse is when the soldiers came and took him, Peter, like the others, let, uh, fled. And then he made his way to, to a campfire there close while by where they, were, where they were having the trial. 
And a little girl walks up to Peter and says, I think you're one of his followers, aren't you? And Peter says, Jesus has been arrested. They're pulling out his beard and they're spitting in his face and they're slapping him and they're calling him demonized and a blasphemer and everything you can imagine. And the little girl walks up to Peter and says, you're one of his followers. And Peter curses and says, I've never seen the man. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he did it a second time and then he did it a third time. He stuck a knife in our Lord's back and he twisted it as hard as he could at our Lord's most desperate moment. That's pretty low. A few weeks later, having got right with God, he stands up and preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come running into the kingdom of God. If God can use a man like Peter, what about Paul? We don't have time to talk about Paul. What is my point? My point is God used them all, and yes, God really can use people like you and me. I think one of the great blessings of my life is I get to work with people, faithful, spirit-filled, regular, normal people whom God is used in a great way. Let me share some stories before I close. There's a guy named Pierre in West Africa. It's hard to see it on the picture, but he doesn't have legs. His legs are, he was born without legs from just below, above the knee. This guy has no legs. He just stands out on the street corner with a Bible, stands the best he can. He's about this high. And he just tries to talk to people about Jesus. Most people won't make eye contact. Most people won't look at him. But little by little, that guy has led, I don't know, I preached in his church once. There had to be a hundred people in that room, just packed and jammed. How many of you people have legs? If God can use a man with no legs, can God use you? Yes, he can. I'm thinking of a lady, an Indian lady, who's... uh, uh, illiterate, if you want to put the next slide up there for me. She's, she can't read and she can't write. Very poor, uh, uh, an untouchable, a dalit. Um, she's, she, can't, she can't read. She became uh, Timothy, and in the first three or four months she led, I think it was 84 people to Jesus Christ. Think about that. And she can't even read and write. Listen, everybody in this room can read and write. Unless maybe you're from Kentucky. Okay, but unless you're from Kentucky, everybody in this room can read and write. If God can take, I mean, this lady is, as my mother used to say, poor as Job's turkey. I have no idea what that means, but she is poor as Job's turkey. If God, if this, this, uh, what is this thing, a trombone? Is this a trombone? This trombone is worth more money than that lady's probably ever seen in her life. She has nothing. She can't read, she can't write. And she led 84 people to the Lord in three or four months. If God can use her, can God use you? What about the little blind widow ladies in Africa? I love these gals. They're not only widows, they're blind widows. They got saved and they've become Timothys. And I don't know how they do it, Jeff, because that part of the world, the roads are not, they're not like, it's not like uh, Brentwood. I mean, there's no roads. It's just, it's, just, it's just rough terrain. 
And somehow those little blind ladies hold hands with each other and they go from one village to another telling people about Jesus. A bunch of churches have started as a result. They're really effective with other widows. They lead them to the Lord just, just one after another. If God can use a bunch of blind widows, can God use you? What about, uh, what about I call this guy uh, the Bible thief. Somebody in my office gave him the name Dan. I don't think that's his name. But Dan, the Bible thief, he stole, robbed a house one night. Turned out they were Christian people. One of the things he stole was a book. He didn't know what it was. It ended up being a Bible, but he'd never seen a Bible. He started reading. He couldn't put it down. He read the whole thing. Took him days, but he read the whole thing. In reading the Bible, he was introduced to Jesus. He became a follower of Christ. He put everything back in the bag he had stolen. He went back to the house, knocked on the door, said, I'm sorry, I, I'm the thief. I stole, robbed from you. Here's everything I stole. I, I read this book, and it has changed my life. And I'm now a follower of Jesus. And I just knew I, was, I needed to come and tell you, I'm sorry, please forgive me. They not only forgave him, they accepted him back in their home. They gave him a seat at their table. They gave him a place to sleep. They discipled him. He became a Timothy. And sometime later, he started a church in the very house where he had stolen the Bible. If God can use a thief, can God use you. Come on, talk to me, can he? Yes, he can. I, I love this next story, John. His name really is John. He's a member of the Dasanach tribe of northern Kenya. Very, very poor people. You can see the little houses in the background, the kind of area it is. We went there to show the Jesus film, and they never had a movie in this village, and he'd never seen a movie he didn't know what it was. And so he's sitting there watching the movie. And when the Roman soldiers start crucifying Jesus, he got real mad at the Roman soldiers So because he, he liked Jesus now. And so he picked up rocks and started throwing rocks at the sc screen trying to hit the Roman soldiers. He thought it was really happening. And then when he walked around behind the screen, he realized there was nothing there. John gave his heart to the Lord that night. John was a mess. He was just, I mean, I don't have time to, he was just a royal mess but long story short, three or four years have gone by. From that man's ministry, over 100 churches have been started, over 50 of them second and third generation churches. In other words, churches that have started churches that have started churches. Here's a man that's throwing rocks at a movie screen because he thinks it's really happening. And God uses him in an incredible way. Can God use you? Gonga is one of my all-time favorite people. Young girl, 20, 21 years old when I met her. University student. She'd go to class all day, get on a packed public transportation bus, go two or three hours outside of town to, to uh, uh, they drop her off on the bus out in the middle of nowhere. There was a mountain there. She started climbing the mountain. She came to a village, and she led the entire village to Jesus Christ. We started a church there. One day somebody told her there's another village on up another mile or so. And so she starts walking up further, comes across another village, leads that, does it three times. I've never seen anything like it, Jeff. She walks. She has nobody to help her. 20, 21, 22 years of age, single girl, college kid. And, and, by, and by the time she walks back down that mountain and waits on the bus and gets back to her dorm, it's like midnight, late at night. 
And she goes to school the next morning. And several times a week she does that. She's led three entire villages to Jesus Christ. She has no money. She has no help. She she doesn't have a boyfriend. She has nobody. God has used her greatly. If God can use Ganga, can God use you? Talk to me, can he? Yes, he can. Well, I don't have time to keep going. Let me close out with Ephesians. I got a lot more stories here. But you guys are lucky there's another service, so I got to stop. Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. I love this verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, that's the Holy Spirit, to him for the sake of his name, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen, it's not can God use you. He can use you in ways far more, exceedingly far greater ways than anyone in this room could ever even think or imagine. That's what the Word of God says. And all God's people said? All right, last thing. For those of you who really believe what you've heard today, not up here, but it's sunk down here. For those of you who really believe that God wants to use you in spite of your past, in spite of where you're at today, he is able to use you and use you in great and mighty ways. For those of you who believe that, what are your next steps? Number one, number one, you can pray. Uh, Listen, put Judson on your prayer list. Put your pastors, Pastor Jeff and your team on your prayer list. Somebody ought to be just walking around this building every day, just pulling a Jericho, just just praying, okay? Not that God tears it down, but that God continues to build it up. Pray, 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 pray. And please, please uh, see me and get on our prayer team. We need your prayers. So how can you advance his kingdom? How can you be a disciple maker? You begin on your knees, You can pray. Everyone in this room is capable of praying. Number two, we can all invest what we have financially. Uh, $300 will plant a church in those villages you just saw. $300 will, will disciple people like you just saw. There's some people in this room that could give $3. There's some people in this room that could give a whole lot more than that. But take what you've got. God has blessed you not for you just to tear down your barns and build bigger barns to store it all in. God has blessed you to be a blessing. Let God use you. God wants to use you. Let him use you. You can start churches all over the world. And finally, finally become a disciple maker yourself. Right here where you are. Tell people about Jesus. And when they get saved, don't just bring them to Pastor Jeff and have him. Uh, He's got his hands full. You disciple them. That's who you are. You are a disciple maker. You say, David, I don't know where to start. Start with your children. If you have children at home, if you have grandchildren, start with your children. Start with your grandchildren. Our country's messed up. You better lead them to love Jesus. There's not a whole lot of people out there who's going to. Can God use you? Oh, yes, he can. Do you believe it? Say amen if you do. 
Jeff, it's always an honor to be here. Thank you, sir. God bless you.